Good afternoon, and thank you for attending today's Teladoc fourth quarter 2022 earnings conference call. My name is Danielle, and I will be the moderator for today's call. All lines will be muted during the presentation portion of the call with an opportunity for questions and answers at the end. If you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. It is now my pleasure to pass the conference over to our host, Patrick Feely, Head of Investor Relations. Patrick, the floor is yours. Thank you and good afternoon. Today after the market closed, we issued a press release announcing our fourth quarter and full year 2022 financial results. This press release and the accompanying slide presentation are available in the Investor Relations section of the TeledocHealth.com website. On this call to discuss the results are Jason Gorovic, Chief Executive Officer, and Mala Murthy, Chief Financial Officer. During this call, we will also provide our first quarter and full year 2023 outlook, and our prepared remarks will be followed by a question and answer session. Please note that we'll be discussing certain non-GAAP financial measures that we believe are important in evaluating Teladoc Health's performance, details on the relationship between these non-GAAP measures to the most comparable GAAP measures, and reconciliations thereof can be found in the press release that is posted on our website. Also, please note that certain statements made during this call will be forward-looking statements as defined by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Such forward-looking statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and other factors that could cause the actual results for Teladoc Health to differ materially from those expressed or implied on this call. For additional information, please refer to our cautionary statement and our press release and our filings with the SEC, all of which are available on our website. I would now like to turn the call over to Jason. Thank you, Patrick. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us. This afternoon, I'm pleased to share strong fourth quarter results to finish what was undoubtedly a challenging year. Today, we're providing our 2023 guidance, which reflects a balanced approach to top and bottom line growth. And we'll speak to changes to our reporting that will help you better track our progress. First, let's start with a brief recap of the past quarter and year. Overall, despite a more challenging macro environment, our underlying business continues to perform with positive momentum, demonstrated by our ability to continue driving solid full-year revenue growth. Fourth quarter consolidated revenue grew 15% year-over-year to $638 million, near the high end of our guidance range. For the full year, total revenue grew 18% to more than $2.4 billion. Fourth quarter consolidated adjusted EBITDA of $94 million was in line with the outlook we provided in October delivering upon our expectation for a significant margin increase in the quarter. We're pleased with the performance of our BetterHelp business, which grew 29% year-over-year in the fourth quarter while delivering on our profitability target. We also remain excited about the momentum we're seeing for our integrated whole-person platform, which includes chronic care, mental health, and primary 360. Now, all accessible through a single login and account in our new unified app. Looking to 2023 and beyond, our leadership position in whole person virtual care is clear. The breadth and depth of our market leading portfolio of products and services provides a strong platform for growth and expansion. I'm very pleased with our progress as we continue to deliver on our mission and realize our vision of making virtual care the first step on any healthcare journey. Top of mind as we begin the new fiscal year is vendor consolidation. We hear a growing desire from our clients to shift away from point solutions and toward multi-product integrated virtual and digital platforms. At the same time, we're seeing clients increasingly focused on demonstrated results. Teladoc Health has been at the forefront of the adoption curve, and we believe that our scale, breadth of product offering, and proven outcomes will enable us to maintain and expand our position in the market. While there remains a healthy demand for solutions that promise better access and outcomes while lowering the cost of healthcare, the challenging macro environment is likely to persist. This is particularly the case with regard to ongoing economic uncertainty, 
as well as a moderation in overall market growth rates. Given the current operating environment, as well as the larger scale at which we now operate, you should expect us to balance growth and margin with an increased focus on efficiency going forward. Part of that approach is right-sizing the cost structure to reflect the current growth rates of the business. As such, the management team has been working diligently on ways to optimize the cost structure of the organization, which includes beginning the year with some tough decisions regarding layoffs and the restructuring of some teams. This restructuring will enable us to improve efficiency while still allowing us to effectively build upon our integrated virtual care offering in a market that remains in the early innings. These actions are reflected in our Q1 and full year 2023 outlook. This more balanced approach does not mean that we will stop relentlessly pursuing growth and increased adoption of virtual care across the industry. Virtual care's role within the healthcare industry remains underpenetrated, and we will continue to invest to expand our leadership position. Our key strategic priorities remain our whole person suite of services, including our virtual primary care offering, Primary 360, our suite of chronic care management solutions, and our mental health products, and continued growth in our BetterHelp consumer brand. Access to our platform is available to over 80 million individuals in the U.S. today, primarily through our relationships with employers and health plans. Over 50% of that population has access to more than one of our products. And when I look at our suite of chronic care solutions, 30% of enrollees are now utilizing more than one chronic care product. Our BetterHelp offering provided over a million individuals with access to mental health care over the past year, many of whom are unlikely to have received any care at all if not for our services. Our platform enabled over 22 million visits across specialties last year and over half a billion digital health interactions with an unmatched consumer experience and a net promoter score over 60. That breadth and scale is unrivaled in the industry and gives us a strong foundation on which to expand. With the more balanced approach I referenced a moment ago, we will pursue growth in a more focused way with the goal of expanding our margins consistently over the next several years as we march toward gap profitability while still achieving attractive and sustainable top-line growth rates. You see this more balanced approach reflected in our 2023 guidance today. For the full year 2023, we expect revenue of $2.55 to $2.675 billion, representing year-over-year -year growth of 6 to 11%. We expect adjusted EBITDA of $275 to $325 million, representing growth of 12 to 32%. You'll also notice some changes in the way that we report our results in today's press release, reflective of the way we are managing the business going forward. As our BetterHelp direct-to-consumer brand has scaled up rapidly over the past few years, we also felt it is the appropriate time to provide increased disclosure for this business. As such, you will now see our results reported along two segments, Teladoc Health Integrated Care, which primarily consists of our B2B distribution channels, including business sold through employers, health plans, and providers, both domestically and internationally, and BetterHelp, which primarily consists of mental health services sold through our direct-to-consumer distribution channel. Mala will discuss some of the additional assumptions underpinning our guidance in a moment, including how we're thinking about performance between these two segments. Hopefully, you'll find this new disclosure helpful in modeling the business going forward. Let me end by saying the company remains strongly positioned, both strategically and financially. Our vision to deliver integrated whole-person virtual care 
and our multi-product strategy continues to resonate in the marketplace. And from a financial perspective, we continue to generate positive free cash flow and maintain a strong balance sheet. This is a clear differentiator for Teladoc Health and provides us with the ability to invest in the expansion of our leadership position at a time when many of our smaller competitors are facing significant financial stress. With that, I'll turn the call over to Mala for a review of the fourth quarter and our forward guidance. Thank you, Jason, and good afternoon, everyone. Before I turn to the results for the quarter, I want to take a moment to discuss our new reporting structure. As Jason noted, you will see in today's release that we are now reporting along two new segments, Teladoc Health Integrated Care and Better Health. On page seven of the press release, you will find segment results and metrics from the prior five quarters to help in your modeling. For the integrated care segment, in addition to revenue and adjusted EBITDA, we are reporting total U.S. membership with access to our suite of virtual programs across our B2B distribution channels. This combines the prior categories of paid members, visit fee-only members, and chronic care enrollees. We believe the distinction between these member types is becoming less meaningful as the revenue models of our products have become more diverse over time, and as we move towards more whole person, bundled, and value-based arrangements. Revenue per U.S. integrated care member represents total segment revenue divided by reported U.S. integrated care membership. We are also providing total chronic care program enrollment, which represents the total number of programs in which our members are actively enrolled. We believe program enrollment is more reflective of growth in chronic care revenue as we continue to drive multi-program enrollment among our members. For the Better Health segment, in addition to revenue and adjusted EBITDA, we are reporting total Better Health users, which represents the average number of monthly paying users of the services during the period. Turning to results, during the fourth quarter, consolidated revenue increased 15% year-over-year to $638 million. Fourth quarter adjusted EBITDA of $94 million was in line with the outlook we provided in October and represents a $43 million increase sequentially primarily a reflection of the advertising spend seasonality in the direct-to-consumer business, as we have discussed throughout 2022. Integrated care segment revenue increased 6% year-over-year to $357 million in the quarter, driven primarily by growth in chronic care management and telemedicine product revenue. Integrated care added 5.8 million U.S. members over the prior year, representing 7% year-over-year growth, and 1.4 million sequentially, to end the year with 83.3 million total U.S. members. Paid members were 58.7 million for the quarter, which exceeded the high end of our prior guidance range of 57 to 58 million members. Total chronic care program enrollment exceeded 1 million programs in the fourth quarter, representing growth of 16% over the prior year's fourth quarter. The total number of individuals enrolled in one of our chronic care programs was 805,000 during the quarter, an increase of 10% over the prior year's fourth quarter. Average integrated care segment revenue per U.S. member of $1.44 was down $0.02 over the prior year's fourth quarter due to the impact of new members onboarded over the course of the year. Excluding the dilutive impact of new member additions over the course of the year, 
revenue per U.S. member would have increased by over 2% versus the prior year's quarter. Revenue per U.S. member increased $0.04 cents sequentially over the third quarter. Fourth quarter adjusted EBITDA from the integrated care segment grew 31% year-over-year to $43.7 million, while margins expanded 230 basis points to 12.2%. Adjusted EBITDA growth was driven primarily by revenue growth and leverage over GNA expense. For the full year, integrated segment revenue grew 6% to $1.4 billion. Adjusted EBITDA declined 6% to $135 million, driven primarily by increased technology and development expense. Better health segment revenue increased 29% year-over-year in the fourth quarter to $277 million primarily driven by growth in BetterHelp membership. BetterHelp adjusted EBITDA grew 22% year-over-year to $52.8 million in the quarter. Sequentially, adjusted EBITDA margin expanded 15 percentage points to 19.1%. This margin expansion was driven in large part by the seasonality of advertising spend, as we've discussed on prior calls. For the full year, BetterHelp segment revenue grew 41% to $1 billion. Adjusted EBITDA declined 6% to $114 million, representing a margin of 11.2%, a reflection of the advertising market headwinds discussed last year. Consolidated net loss per share in the fourth quarter was $23.49, compared to a net loss per share of $0.07 in the fourth quarter of 2021. Net loss per share in the fourth quarter includes a non-cash goodwill impairment charge of $3.8 billion, or $23.26 per share, stock-based compensation expense of $0.31 per share, and amortization of acquired intangibles of $0.30 per share. The goodwill impairment charge reflects the overall operating environment, including the lower rate of growth reflected in our guidance today, and overall financial market conditions, including decreased market multiples. This goodwill write-off is non-cash and has no impact on our financial position or our ability to invest in the business going forward. During the fourth quarter and full year, the company generated free cash flow of $12 million and $17 million, respectively. We ended the year with $918 million in cash and short-term investments on the balance sheet. Now, turning to forward guidance. For the full year 2023, we expect revenue to be in the range of $2.55 to $2.675 billion, representing revenue growth of 6 to 11%. This revenue outlook contemplates mid to high single-digit percentage growth in our integrated care segment, and low double-digit to mid-teen percentage growth in our better health segment. We expect total integrated care segment U.S. membership of 84 to 86 million members. We expect consolidated adjusted EBITDA for the full year to be in the range of $275 to $325 million, or growth of 22% at the midpoint. Consolidated guidance assumes year-over-year adjusted EBITDA margin of flat to up 50 basis points for the integrated care segment and an increase of 100 to 300 basis points for the better health segment. We expect to generate free cash flow of at least $100 million in 2023. 
driven by both the growth in adjusted EBITDA and an expected decline in catalyzed software development costs. For the first quarter of 2023, we expect revenue of 610 to $625 million, representing growth of 8 to 11% year over year. We expect adjusted EBITDA of 42 to $50 million. First quarter consolidated guidance contemplates low to mid-single-digit revenue growth for the integrated care segment and mid to high teams revenue growth for the better health segment. Total integrated care segment U.S. membership is expected to increase to 84 to 85 million members. We expect integrated care segment margins to be slightly higher than better health segment margins in the first quarter due to typical margin seasonality. It's important to remind you of the seasonality dynamic in the better health business. As we have discussed throughout 2022, we typically see slower advertising spend in the fourth quarter during the holiday season. This drives lower customer acquisition in the back half of the fourth quarter and results in the strongest seasonal margin quarter of the year for better health. It also results in the seasonally weakest sequential growth and margins of the year in the first quarter as advertising spend is ramped up and the customer acquisition funnel rebuilds. As such, our guidance assumes the first quarter to be the low point of the year for better health margins, and we expect consistent margin progression over the course of 2023. With that, I will turn the call back to Jason. Thanks, Mala. Before we go to Q&A, I also wanted to call your attention to our third annual Corporate Social Responsibility Report we issued a few weeks ago. While all of our work is mission-driven, the fact that our 5,000 colleagues take giving back to the community as seriously as delivering for our members is a source of tremendous pride. The report covers a wide range of areas where we've had an impact in the past year, from delivering more than 16,000 volunteer hours, 33% more than last year, to deploying 18 autonomous tel telehealth devices to Ukraine in cooperation with the World Telehealth Initiative. I'm grateful to my colleagues for demonstrating once again our core corporate value. We're passionate about taking care of people. And I encourage you to check out the report. With that, we're happy to take your questions. Operator? If you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. If for any reason you would like to remove that question, please press star followed by two. Again, to ask a question, please press star one. As a reminder, if you are using a speakerphone, please remember to pick up your hands up before asking your question. And also, on behalf of the management team, we would ask that you limit yourself to one question. We will pause here briefly as questions are registered. Our first question comes from the line of Ryan Daniels of William Blair. Please proceed. This is Jack Sensed on for Ryan Daniels. Um, I know you're not giving uh, guidance specifically for the Better Health segment, but based on the Better Health users you outlined in your presentation deck, I'm curious uh, on your ex expectations when it comes to growth within, within the user base more longer term. Um, you know, it looks like year over year, fourth quarter, you know, increased pretty significantly. So do you kind of expect better help to contribute more as a percent of total revenue over time? And, you know, just if you have any longer term expectations on growth rates, I'd be much appreciated. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you for the question. Um, we're not in a position to give any outlook beyond 2023. We have given you, uh, hopefully, uh, plenty of disclosure and detail for how we expect the better health business to be uh, in 2023. Look, it's uh, at this point, better health is over a billion dollar business. Um, I don't think you're going to see it return to the type of hyper growth 
that this business has seen uh, over the past few years where it grew, you know, in well over 100% in the past few years. But we do think, importantly, that there remains a long runway for growth in this market. Uh, if you think about virtual therapy, uh, it's still underpenetrated, uh, and a lot of the structural issues around access and cost aren't getting addressed in other places. So the tailwinds for this business are still very strong. Um, the other important thing to note is, as Jason said in his uh, remarks, prepared remarks, um, we are making a choice this year to grow a little bit slower and drive margin improvement. We've talked about the 100 to 300 uh, basis points of margin improvement in this business. Uh, and then the last thing I'd say is um, BetterHelp is still likely to add more incremental revenue this year than, frankly, most of our competitors generate in total annual revenue. It just, you know, there is a lot of scale in this business. And um, there's a lot of scale advantage to take, um, to take advantage of in this business. Thank you. The next question comes from the line of Lisa Gill with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed. Uh, great. Thanks very much, and good afternoon. Um, just really want to start with, with two things. Molly, you, you made an interesting comment um, around how the business is progressing going forward, and, and you said whole person value-based bundles. So first off, that's my question for Jason. Can you talk to me about what you're seeing for 2023? Um, how do we think about how value-based bundles will work and what that means to revenue and profit? And then secondly, you know, Molly, you, you talked about the improvement in the margin, and, uh, you know, by my math, it's like 130 basis points at the midpoint of what you've given. Um, can you maybe just talk about, like, what are some of the key drivers to that margin improvement? Is it mix? Is it, you know, the realignment of the business? Like, what are some of the things that we should think about that maybe are specific to 23 or things that um, potentially will impact the margins as we think about beyond 23? Yeah, thanks, Lisa. Um, there's no question that uh, especially health plans, but also uh, increasingly large employers are looking for us to provide uh, value-based arrangements. And value-based arrangements can take the form of ba being based on clinical outcomes, being based on bending the cost curve, um, or some combination of the two of them. In many cases, they are multi-product bundles of services from us. Uh, and so if I look back at the last year, the interest from health plans and deals with value-based components is up about 4x year over year. Um, and that, I think, really plays well to us. Our outcomes proof points are clear uh, where we are driving significantly better outcomes when consumers engage in more, more than one of our clinical products. Uh, and, and we're in a fortunate position now where, for our chronic care solutions, 30% of our members who are engaging with a chronic care solution are engaging with more than one of them. Um, but it's also true that we're driving significant return on investment for our clients, and that obviously lends itself well to value-based arrangements. On average, our diabetes program delivers a return on investment uh, of three to one for our clients. Uh, for those who are uh, significantly hypertensive, meaning over 140 uh, systolic, we're driving $58 PPPM cost avoidance. Uh, and so, again, those lend themselves really well to aligning us with our clients in value-based arrangements. And then, Lisa, uh, for your second question, um, you know, if I think about our margin progression, I'd uh, bring it down to a few key factors, right? First is, uh, if you think about the better health margin improvement, uh, it's really around uh, the leverage we will get from A&M, uh, you know, improving the yield, the productivity of our A&M. Uh, more broadly, if you think about uh, integrated care, um, it's uh, about technology and development expense leverage, um, and as well as GNA. As you know, um, we uh, took some very difficult decisions uh, earlier this year in terms of uh, doing a layoff. Um, and so if you think about the measures we are taking in controlling our costs, 
Uh, it is around, you know, driving GNA efficiency. Uh, it's about uh, things such as real estate consolidation. And internally, we are also driving efficiencies in our structure. Um, you know, we, we have centers of excellence now, et cetera. All of that essentially to right-size our cost base relative to the growth rate of the business. Thank you. The next question comes from Jalendra Singh of Truist Securities. Please proceed. Thank you, and thanks for taking my questions. Uh, first, a quick clarification to your comment, Malal. Uh, are you willing to quantify how much benefit does your guidance assume from the recent restructuring uh, for 2023? And my main question, Jason, you talked about the demand for multi-product digital health platform increasing, employees moving away from point solutions. As you look across your solutions and offerings, are there certain areas or solutions where you would like to expand into to respond to that demand, and how do you plan to approach that in terms of like build, buy, or partner? So we'll take it in order. Um, you know, we've given you all enough transparency on the restructuring we did. Um, you know, we we've reduced our headcount by approximately six percent. Uh, over 300 individuals during the first quarter. Um, to be clear, the significant majority of that has been completed during the first quarter, and it's fully incorporated in both our first quarter and full-year guidance, Jalendra. Uh, and the only thing I would add to that is, you know, these actions that we are taking or we have taken, uh, you know, it follows a period of growing investment, and they will moderate the pace of expense growth for 2023, uh, and, you know, we believe this cost structure is reflective of the current growth rate of the business. It will allow us to improve the efficiency of the organization and, importantly, while still allowing us to continue to innovate in the market, that's still in relatively early innings. And, Jalendra, with respect to your question about multi-product sales, um, there's no question that that dominates uh, both our pipeline and our bookings. Uh, about 70% of our bookings last year were multi-product bookings. We continue to see that. Uh, I think it's also reflected in the success of our primary 360 product, which acts as a hub for multiple other products and clinical services. Um, our primary 360 product continues to get significant traction, uh, and, and although it's off a small base, uh, we'll probably triple the revenue in 23 from primary 360 versus 22. Um, so if you think about continued expansion of clinical products and services, we'll look to add uh, additional products and services um, that are clinical capabilities that are complementary to both our existing chronic care portfolio as well as our primary 360 product uh, and the, the full sort of primary care spectrum, if you will. Um, in terms of build versus buy, we'll continue to look opportunistically across the market. Um, we, we look at both A, speed to market, uh, and B, uh, financial return on those investments uh, with respect to deciding whether we're going to build, buy, or partner those. Um, you know, as, as I think has been well documented, um, there are a number of companies out there who are struggling in the current financial environment, uh, and the cost of capital is significantly higher uh, as other companies go out and have to raise money. Um, we're, we're staying closely attuned to that, uh, but we're not stopping our pace of internal innovation. Um, and so you see that, for example, with the launch of our One App. Uh, which provides a single interface and a single consumer experience for all of our products and services and enables us to rapidly uh, and relatively easily deploy additional products uh, and clinical capabilities. Thank you. The next question comes from the line of Stephanie Davis of SVB Securities. Please proceed. Hey guys, thanks for taking my question. So I've been hearing about a lot of market growth outside of you guys for virtual primary care. 
So it would be helpful to walk through just the, the basics of the model for primary 360. How you're charging for it, what you're seeing for RFP activity recently versus last year, and um, if we should view these wins as all incremental or if there's some cannibalization risk as folks move to whole person care versus virtual urgent care. Yeah, thanks, Stephanie. Um, as I said, we're, we're very excited about the growth in primary 360. I, I mentioned we expect triple the revenue in 23 that we saw in 22. Um, we have completed several thousand uh, primary care visits already this year, uh, and it's growing rapidly. Um, we'll deliver, I don't know, somewhere between 5 and 10x the visits uh, in primary care in 2023 that we did in 22, and the pipeline is uh, is rich with opportunities. So I, I feel uh, very good about where we are. In terms of cannibalization, we really don't see cannibalization of our general medical services by, by our primary 360 product. They are really serving very different purposes. Uh, one is a longitudinal relationship that's really holistic. Uh, and incorporates multiple of our products and services. The other is much more episodic uh, and, uh, and acute in nature. Um, but I think what's, what's encouraging for us is that the combination of our chronic care solutions and mental health solutions come together with our primary 360 service to really provide uh, that whole person care. Over half of our P360 members are using more than two of our Teladoc services, including our chronic care solutions. And we really see that members with chronic disease are four times as likely to, to engage with our primary 360 product. And I think lastly, all of that is driving net promoter scores in the 70s for our P360 product which uh, is not only providing new opportunities for us, but also expansion opportunities with existing clients. Yeah, the thing I'll add is, you know, we are in the very early innings for virtual primary care. Um, but we do think, based on the momentum we are seeing over time, it has the potential to certainly become a much larger portion of the business. Um, the pace of adoption over the next several years is certainly going to be, have an impact on the integrated care segment growth in particular. So taking that comment in mind of the tripling of revenue for primary 360, how can we bridge to your guidance? You've got $200 million incremental revenue dollars. It's on a base with a tripling primary 360. Better help ending the year with double-digit growth. Is there anything to call out that would prevent you from benefiting from those growth rates? Well, remember, Stephanie, that primary 360 is off a very small base in 22, uh, which I think we were consistent about saying over the course of last year. Um, and we, we've given uh, an indication of the growth rates of both the integrated care segment as well as the better health segment. Um, so I think, you know, you can, you can bring those together to look at what the overall guidance we've given for 23 is. Thank you. The next question comes from the line of Richard Close. And just a friendly reminder, the management team has asked that we limit each person to one question. Richard, your line is now open. You may proceed with your question. Great. Thanks for the question. I appreciate that. Um, Mala, can you talk a little bit more about the integrated margins, what you're seeing and what you're expecting, I guess, the flat, the 50 base improvements, um, just maybe, you know, a little bit more detail in, you know, the expansion opportunities maybe beyond, um, you know, 2023 in this business. Yeah. Um, so here's what I would say. If you think about the integrated care segment, um, you know, we will drive 
leverage in our expense base as our revenue continues to grow and scale. You know, if you think about what the elements of that business are, uh, and, you know, you'll see much more in the press release about the what's in the integrated care segment, but it's essentially think of it as uh, growth across chronic care, uh, primary 360, as we have talked about, uh, our telemedicine business, including uh, mental health uh, on the B2B side, um, and then growth in our uh, hospital and health system business. So, so if you just think of the diversity of uh, growth opportunities across all of these, and I'm sorry, the last important one is international, right, because again, this is a global um, uh, integrated care segment. So again, if you think about the growth opportunities across all of these, um, you know, the, the the margin progression will come from driving uh, revenue and scaling revenue, number one. And number two, as we've talked about, uh, just being much more efficient in our costs and expenses in that segment. Whether it be uh, tr uh, technology and development expense, we are going to drive leverage in T&D expense this year. Um, and we expect, we will expect to continue to do that in future years. We are still investing, to be clear, in the business, given the fact that we are still in the early innings. Uh, but we do expect to drive leverage there. And as I said, uh, in SGNA as well. So it's a combination of those that will drive um, the margin progression in the integrated care segment. Thank you. The next question comes from George Hill of Deutsche Bank. Please proceed. Yeah, hi. Um, it's Max Young for George. Thanks for taking the question. Um, your provider model has been gradually changing from a pure contracting model to a more of a hybrid model. Um, can you give us some color on where you are now in terms of contracted versus employed providers? And how do you, uh, how do the restructuring and cost-saving initiatives change this ratio and the pace of hiring to support membership growth? Thank you. Yeah, um, so we're in the process. We haven't given out a percentage of the total visits that are being taken by employed versus uh, independent contractor physicians, um, but we are in the process of shifting. I, I think you will see us go to north of 50% of our visit volume ultimately being taken by employed physicians. Um, what we've proven now is that we can drive actually greater physician productivity at higher consumer net promoter scores um, and uh, equal to better clinical integration of all of our products when we do that with uh, an employed physician model. We'll never get to 100%, uh, and, and that wouldn't be prudent because it's not, you get, you get beyond the efficiency uh, frontier uh, at some point. Um, and, uh, and more and more, we are also moving to uh, employed physicians for both our general medical, uh, more episodic uh, visits as well as, of course, for our more longitudinal relationships in primary 360. Um, I, I, I wouldn't point you to uh, that transition when we talked about the restructuring uh, that we did at the beginning of this year. Uh, that was really not oriented around our physician staffing model. Um, more it was around uh, our OPEX, uh, and around our um, our non-clinical staff. Thank you. The next question comes from Jessica Tassan of Piper Sandler. Please proceed. Hi. Thank you guys for taking the question. Um, so I just was hoping uh, you could help us square the increase in multi-product sales with the kind of flattish average revenue per U.S. integrated care member um, over the course of 2022 relative to that 4Q21 um, number you presented. And then just secondarily, Jason, if, if you could just remind us what's the level or type of behavioral care and care navigation that's embedded in the primary 360 offering. Um, thank you. 
So if you, you know, what we said in our prepared remarks, Jess, is um, if you think about the revenue per member uh, and you talk about Flatish, again, um, remember we onboarded a lot of new members in 2022 and there is a diluted impact of that. If you think about the growth in membership last year, um, you know, it was uh, about a 6 to 7% growth in members. So there is a diluted impact. If you, um, if you normalize for that impact, as we said, on a year-over-year -year basis, we did see an increase in revenue per member um, of about 2% increase, and it translated to about $0.04 cents sequentially. The point being that we are actually seeing the impact of the, the revenue growth and the different elements and components of that um, in our revenue per member. And again, if you think about what is included in that, in that revenue per member, uh, it is uh, increases in enrollment, it increases in visit utilization, um, it is increases in uh, the growth in our hospital and health systems business. Uh, as we said, it is overall segment revenue growth uh, and the different components of that, that will drive the increase in revenue per member. And then with respect to Primary 360, our standard offering uh, for Primary 360 delivers mental health along with uh, virtual primary care. That mental health is, uh, tends to be uh, therapy as well as access to psychiatry for medication management. Um, having said that, not every client uh, takes the, our standard or full bundle of services. Uh, and so while, while that is our lead offering, I, I just caution you that not every product, every client takes uh, the same bundle of services. Thank you. The next question comes from the line of Daniel Grosswhite of City. Please proceed. Hi guys, thanks for taking the question. You know, as we talk to um, benefits managers around virtual primary care, it seems like the integration of virtual and physical clinics has become increasingly important. I'm sure you, you hear the same thing. Can you remind us how you guys integrate with, with in-person care and if your integration strategy has changed at all? Yeah, Daniel, thanks for the question. I, I think about it in terms of sort of three concentric circles. Um, at the center is what we can deliver virtually for the consumer um, along all of the dimensions, including primary care, mental health, chronic care, um, in a longitudinal and holistic manner. The second ring is around what can be delivered in the home. And so more and more we're driving care into the home and helping to facilitate care that can be delivered in the home, whether that's diagnostic testing uh, or actual delivery uh, of care in the home. And then the third ring is referrals into the delivery system. Um, and we always work with our clients to strive to create the most efficient referral into the physical delivery system when someone needs to be referred. The, you know, the, the, um, the question of do, do, uh, I think that sometimes behind that is do you want to own brick and mortar, uh, so that you can refer into your own brick and mortar, uh, facilities? And I really don't, I don't think that that's a, a highly scalable model. Um, and I think in some cases it can provide perverse incentives to fill your own beds uh, and fill your own brick and mortar capacity. Rather, I'd rather be in the business of making sure that we are making the best referral the first time for the highest clinical outcomes and the greatest impact on cost of care. Thank you. The next question comes from Stan Berenstein of Wells Fargo. Please proceed. Hi, thanks for get, uh, taking my questions. <clears throat> um, I appreciate the, the additional color on better health. It's very helpful. Uh, but maybe um, on chronic care, since nobody asked, 2020 was a pretty big enrollment year uh, for chronic care. I'm, I'm just wondering, are any of those contracts coming up for renewal? And maybe you, if you can comment on what your visibility is in that segment over the next year or two. Thanks. So, um, you know, as we have uh, done our very detailed planning, as we always do uh, for 2023, uh, I would say 
um, we have a high degree of visibility into uh, our chronic care uh, contracts. Um, you know, importantly, as we have uh, set guidance, um, we have been uh, reasonably prudent about how much in-year revenue to expect from um, on the integrated care segment, uh, including chronic care. Um, so I would say that the level of visibility that we have is is, is high. And I wouldn't point to any significant contracts that are up over the course of this year. Thank you. The next question comes from the line of Sandy Draper of Guggenheim. Please proceed. Hi, thanks. This is Mitchell on for Sandy. Um, just a few quick ones. Uh, how are you thinking about the macro environment's impact on your sales cycle? And also, are you seeing any impact to underlying membership of customers from the recent job cuts? Thanks. Yeah, I'll take the first one, the second one first. We haven't really seen an impact um, uh, on our membership from uh, anything that might be going on in the labor market. We're always attuned to that. I'm very cognizant of the question, uh, but we really haven't seen an impact. Um, in some cases, we're, uh, we're balanced because we participate in the commercial segments, the uh, exchange segments, as well as the Medicaid segments. So sometimes we're insulated because we see a flow from one to the other, um, but we're really not seeing uh, any significant impact. With respect to the buying behavior, you know, we're more attuned to it in the better help segment uh, and, and oriented around the sensitivity of the consumer given the macroeconomic uh, uncertainty. And, you know, certainly we've uh, factored that into our outlook over the course of this year. Um, I think in the B2B segment, uh, it really it has the effect of sometimes slowing down the buying process or the decision-making process, but doesn't necessarily stop it altogether. I think, if anything, it focuses uh, the buyer on where they're getting the most value, uh, and we believe that we rise to the top in that kind of an environment. Thank you. The next question comes from Elizabeth Anderson of Evercore. Please proceed. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for the question. I was wondering if you could give us a little bit more detail on BetterHelp. Like, how are you sort of seeing any – or are you seeing any changes in retention compared to a year ago versus the macro environment and, and your sort of change in ad spend? And then I was wondering if you could also give us an update on the group therapy sessions um, and how those are continuing to trend. Thank you. You know, what I would say is um, if you think about the underlying operating metrics of the BetterHelp business, um, you know, they have remained uh, steady um, as we have exited the year into this year, um, whether it be uh, LTV, retention, churn, et cetera. Uh, and we have also seen uh, stability thus far uh, uh, in terms of ad pricing. Um, now, obviously, you know, we are continuing to monitor that, and as we've talked about uh, all of last year, um, that certainly is one of many swing factors in uh, the better health business. Uh, but thus far, uh, we have essentially seen a degree of stability in that market. Thank you. And with that, we will conclude today's call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.